that up for me? Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me this morning and help me to me to do a good job of uh, sharing your word. I pray that um, my being tired, not feeling real well, wouldn't be a hindrance, but Lord, that you would speak uh, in in my weakness and in my uh, imperfection, Lord, that folks would hear from you, uh, that your spirit would move in this place, um, that that it wouldn't be fancy words, but your gospel that, that touches folks' hearts. And I pray that you'd be with the folks who are here this morning, that, that their hearts would be prepared to hear from you, that they would know you more intimately through through hearing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, we are uh, on the last week of, of talking about Sabbath this morning, the, the very last Sabbath sermon I'll do for a little while. Um, and and um, I've had a lot of people ask questions as we've gone, and I'm going to do my best to kind of answer as many of them as I can. And so if I miss your question, catch up with me later, and I'll do my best to answer it. But I, I it's kind of a spread sermon here, okay? And, and this is actually um, a topical sermon, which I rarely do topical sermons because I'm not very good at them, and I'm not feeling well. And so this is, I'm, I'm starting out like on a more difficult style, and I'm not feeling well. So bear with me, okay? I, I need grace this morning. Um, I, uh, I actually wanted to share uh, some pictures. Uh, I, I'm, I'm becoming that guy who shares vacation photos. Um, while I was in Israel, which wasn't vacation, it was educational time, but there were one of the things that blew me away, and, and every time I was in the area, I stopped and looked at it and, and tried to let it sort of settle in what I was seeing. Um, this is a photograph from the Temple Mount, right? This is, uh, there's a, a mosque there now, but it's a big flat surface that was built up by Herod the Great, and the original temple was there, like Herod's temple was there, and... Um, from that spot, like it still exists, they, they, they left the walls, the retaining walls in, and later the Muslims built like a mosque there. Um, but from the middle of the Temple Mount, um, I took this picture, and that's the Mount of Olives, right? We're all familiar with the Mount of Olives. This is where Jesus went, and he, he like prayed there, and he taught there, and um, the Garden of Gethsemane is there. And actually, you, you can't really see it well in this picture. It's kind of on the edge. Um, but what this is is... The entire Mount of Olives is covered with a cemetery, like the entire mountain. Like you can, and in fact, actually, like everywhere you stand, I got another photo with like a bit more of a, I mean, it is, it is hard to explain how much of a cemetery is there. John will vouch for this. He's been there as well. Like it is a, it is carpeted with tombs and graves and just, just, you know, end to end, like toppling over each other cemetery on the Mount of Olives. And in fact, um, here's another like shot from sort of a different angle, like, like the whole mountain. And, and the idea here is um, that the Jew, Jewish folks, they believe that when the Messiah comes, he will come down on the Mount of Olives. He'll cross down into the Kidron Valley and enter into the temple complex through the beautiful gate or the golden gate, or is it the East Gate? It's, yeah, sounds right. It's one of those. I'm directionally impaired as part of being a man. Um, actually, in this photo, you can see the edge of the Temple Mount. That wall right there, with the, that, that's the edge of the Temple Mount, like, like looking out on it. And the idea that they have is, if the Messiah is going to come this way, when the Messiah shows up, he'll resurrect the dead, and he'll enter into the temple and like, like launch this age of the Messiah. Right. And so folks like for years and years and years have wanted to be buried right there. So when he shows up, they'll be the first ones up. 
um, which I think is crazy. I don't want to be the first one out of bed ever. Um, but, but it is this, this desire to be the first ones up and the first ones risen again to see the Messiah. Um, now, from the top of the Mount of Olives, you can see this is the wall, the, the wall of the temple, right? And there's that, see that thing in the middle? There's not a very good photo of it. But that thing in the middle is the beautiful gate. Actually, that is the gate that Jesus walked through in the triumphant entry. So like the triumphant entry, we rode on the donkey and they laid down palm fronds and everything. That started up in that cemetery in the other photo. And he came down the valley and he went through that gate, right? Which is what the Jewish folks, like they've been waiting for this for ages and ages and ages. For the Messiah to come and to walk down and resurrect the dead and enter the temple. That's more cemeteries. But oddly enough... That is a, a Muslim cemetery, right? And the gate itself is gated up, is, is walled up. And the reason it's walled up is there's this ongoing conflict between the Jewish folks and the Muslims, right? And they walled it up to slow it down to say, well, the Messiah can't come in through the gate if there's no gate. And then they put down a cemetery because they said, if the Messiah enters through the cemetery, he'll become unclean, so he won't go this route. And so they put a, a Muslim cemetery there to discourage God from showing up. Um, it's kind of a thumbing their nose at, at, at the Jews, right? Um, but there's this huge cemetery all around this, and it's in anticipation of this coming, like, Messiah and this Messianic age. And there's this whole tragedy that goes with it because it already happened, right? Like, it already happened. Like, like the Messiah already showed up. He already walked down the Mount of Olives. He already walked in the East Gate. He is the first fruits of the resurrection, right? Like he was crucified, died, buried, rose again from the dead. The very first one to prove that that's what God is going to do. And that day is coming. But it, like they're, they're, all of this hoopla and all of this thing is built around this desire for something to come that's already happened. Right? Like the horse is already out of the barn. Right? There ain't no point in messing with that door. Um, But it's already taken place. Um, Now, why am I starting with this when we're talking about um, about this 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 Sabbath thing? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you guys a little bit of Jewish history, right? Um, And this is uh, this is not Bible. This is from the Mishnah and and the Talmud. The Mishnah is sort of like the rabbis over the years. They would comment on what the Bible means. And they, they, you have this whole collection of books. It's what the early Jewish thinkers thought about the Bible, right? And so these are the guys who like were kind of contemporary to Jesus or a little before him. And what they believed about what was coming. They believed that the Messiah would come and he would inaugurate this age, right? This, this next period in history. And this next period in history, um, watch this. And at that time, this is from the Mayam, I can't even pronounce it, I'm sorry, I'm really bad with Hebrew, uh, from one of, the, one of the commentaries in the Mishnah. Um, and at this time, there will be no hunger or war, no jealousy or rivalry, for the good will be plentiful and all delicacies available as dust, meaning like, Love and peace and everything will reign and there'll be good food everywhere so much so it'll be like dust in the world, right? I mean, I don't know, Montana, we have dust to spare, right? I mean, and, and if you can imagine that sort of it as an analogy, actually it's a good parallel to Israel because it is dry and dusty there too. And like that's how much good food will be around. It'll be like dust, um, extra powerful in this part of the world. <laughs> the entire occupation of the world 
will only will be only to know God. The people of Israel will be of great wisdom, and they will perceive the esoteric truths and comprehend their Creator's wisdom, as is the capacity of man. So, like, what they're waiting for is this Messiah to come and bring everyone, like the dead, back to life, and they'll like spend eternity with God, enjoying the creation and knowing God. It'll all be about knowing God, right? Like their, their hope for the coming Messiah is to like be with God and to know him. Um, I got another commentary, and this is sort of one last thing. This is from a midrash, which is a little later, but it, it talks about the generations and the days, like the world was created in how many days? Six, and on the seventh he rested, right? Which is where the, the, the Sabbath comes from. Um, and, and we're going to get into that. This is, I know it sounds like a huge detour, but the idea is that you have six like eons or ages that happen, um, which are for coming out for war and peace. And then the seventh eon is entirely Sabbath and rest for life everlasting. This is another rabbi talking. The early Jews, what they believed was that the world existed for the purpose of these things, for, for the life we live, for coming out, for war, for peace, for everything, and that it, when the Messiah shows up, it would be to inaugurate this Sabbath, this time when we would know God forever, and we would rest in him, and we would enjoy the creation. And so all of these graves, this is all built around this idea that the Messiah is coming, and will enter into this promised era, this promised land of rest. It's coming. We'll spend eternity with God. And they missed it because it already happened. Um, but we can learn some stuff from this idea. And we're going to dig into this, this whole Sabbath rest thing. There's a bigger sort of background here. I'm going to do my best to kind of cover. Um, <clears throat> backgrounds real quick. Sabbath, um, according to the Jewish folks, Sabbath is Saturday, right? Uh, it's the seventh day of the week. It's the last day. It's the day God rested and God commanded the rest would happen. And in fact, actually commanded it with some pretty severe weight. I mean, like, like God got pretty mad at folks for not obeying the Sabbath. And like, like it was a huge deal. There are ancient laws that apply to it, like, like where they said, well, what does it mean to rest? And well, that means you can't make your bed on Sabbath. Hooray, every day is Sabbath in my house. Um, <laughs> they would say you can't, you know, travel further than this distance. You can't go to work. You can't. You know, you can feed your oxen, but not more than this amount. You can, I mean, they had all of these rules. And some Jews were more serious about it. Like, I know I cited a lot, but to me it's a great example of how crazy they got over this. There were some folks, the Essenes, who wouldn't go to the bathroom on the Sabbath for fear that it would count as work. Um, I mean, they, they took it very seriously. Earn God's favor by resting as hard as you can. That is so counterintuitive, Right? Make yourself as miserable as possible in rest to demonstrate to God that you love him and you're resting in him. Anybody see how that, that doesn't work? Um, and we're going to get to it in a second. But like the, the, the shortfall here is that, that rest is supposed to be that. Rest is supposed to be, it's supposed to be enjoying God, enjoying the creation, letting go and resting in him. Okay? Now... Um, these, these ancient laws, one of them was, and this is important because I didn't cover it in my notes, but it is something I want to mention today. Um, you were supposed to give everybody who works for you a day off, right? So if you paid someone to be a servant or if you had a slave or if you had like whatever, you 
gave them Sabbath off. You could not make your people work. And in fact, in one of the minor prophets, we see where God comes along and he's pretty ticked off. He's like, hey, you're taking Sabbath off, but you're making your servants work. What is wrong with you people? Um, because part of the purpose of Sabbath is everybody rests and the land rests and the animals rest. Everybody takes the day. Um, we're going to come back to that. Typology is going to play in here. Um, typology is anything that points forward to God or to Jesus specifically, right? Typology is anything that is symbolic of Jesus where we see Jesus in the Old Testament, which is there's a lot of it. Like the whole Bible is about Jesus. But there's a bunch of these things that happen in the Old Testament that are all about Jesus, that are symbols of what was to come. And Sabbath is no different. In fact, Sabbath is one of the big ones, right? Sabbath is one of the big symbols of what Jesus was bringing and what we get from Jesus, which is awesome. Actually, it's one of the best bits of news that you can hear. Um, we'll talk about Sundays in a bit. So my understanding of Sabbath, and I'm taking this from like, like great theologians before me, there are three main purposes at this point. It is a rest for believers from their labors, allowing God to work in and through us. Got it? We're supposed to stop and take time to be with God, right? Is it a law that we have to do it? We've talked about this in past sermons. No, it is not. It is a gift you are given, right? So what if I don't take it? then you don't take it, right? But we are given the gift of taking time away to spend with God. You don't have to work constantly, right? That's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I sometimes feel bad that I take days off because it seems like I should be working constantly. I know there are farmers who think this. In fact, I know I've met a few farmers that work seven days a week. They'll work Thanksgiving if, you know, their wives don't make them stop. They'll work on Christmas if, you know, there's something to be done. I mean, got to make sure the combine's working by December 26th or else. Um, am I wrong? Because there's this, like, virtue in work. But in reality, there's virtue in rest. Um, so Sabbath today exists for the purpose of rest. It is an assigned space to create like an order. And here's the idea here, and we're going to touch on this very tertiary like at the end. Um, there's organization of the world. We have a day set aside where we worship. And like it's sort of a universally agreed upon day just because it works out really well that way, right? And what day do we go to church? Sunday. If we didn't have a set day for that, we could all show up whenever we want. How would that work out? Well, number one, I'd have to preach a lot longer, and I know sometimes it feels like I go seven days, but it's not generally the case. Um, so, like, one of the arguments from the Reformers was, hey, Sabbath exists so that there's, like, an organization of the world. We have a day when we worship. Makes sense. Um, and it provides an opportunity for laborers and, like, us giving employees a day off. And that is a big deal. I, I have a good friend um, I went to high school with who, who is in, he, he's an atheist. He's a, like, very devoted atheist. And I, I, I find a lot of wisdom in some of the things he says. One of the things he goes on about is um, Black Friday. Y'all are, y'all are familiar with Black Friday, right? Um, and how, like, Black Friday, and then now it's Thanksgiving. You can go shopping on Thanksgiving. And every year he rails for weeks and weeks about how offensive it is that we force people to work on Thanksgiving and, and the next day. Because they should just get the day off. Why do we need to shop? Why can't they just? And he says, I just won't shop those days. There's some wisdom in that, Right. I mean, like, why would I make other people work at a time when I'm taking the day off? 
And, and so there's some wisdom to this. And, like, this is biblical wisdom. We take days off. If we're going to take a day off and rest, we should expect other people to take days off and rest too. We do not oppress the people around us by forcing them to work. There's a biblical concept. Everybody deserves rest. Everybody deserves space. Everybody deserves time with God. This is designed into us. It's how God made the world. We do not oppress people by making them work seven days a week. Huge deal, right? All over the Old Testament, if you don't believe me, we're not going to dig into it any further than this. That is all the comment you're getting on it because there's a lot to do. And I'm already 15 minutes in and I barely got into the text. All right. <coughs> Thank you. Uh, Exodus 31. Can somebody get me a glass of water, please? I'm <coughs> starting to. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. As this is a sign between you and me, or between me and you throughout the generations. It is a what? A sign. Is a sign a thing unto itself? No, of course not. Like, I see a stop sign there. The stop sign doesn't exist for the purpose of it being a stop sign. It exists to tell me to stop, right? Those speed limit signs, I know they're just suggestions, but according to, like, some folks who pull me over occasionally... They actually signify something, and that's how fast my car can go. Um, signs exist to point to something else. Um, through your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, um, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul will be cut off from amongst the people. Six days shall, be, shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, thank you, baby. Um, therefore, <clears throat> therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he was rested and refreshed. So again, he says, listen, this is a sign that is forever between him and Israel, right? We're not Israel. Everybody got that? Like, there is a basic principle here. You are not Israel. However, it is a sign that points forward to Jesus and God's sanctifying work through Jesus. So they were to take this day to be sanctified. It's holy. They spend time in God's presence. They're with him. And it's all pointing forward to this day when Jesus would come and he would be God amongst us and we would spend time with him and he would sanctify us and we would know him personally. And so Sabbath was always meant to be this big pointing sign. It is a sign between God and man pointing forward to Jesus. Everybody with me? This is the main idea. Um, I think I touched on this in an earlier week, but I cannot emphasize this enough. Sabbath is all 110% about Jesus. It is about resting in him. It is about giving him control. It is about letting him like operate over us and give us opportunity to be refreshed. And like Sabbath is all about him. Um, which actually, even you know, the rabbis got this basic idea, right? They said, in eternity, in the era of the Messiah, there would be, you know, we would we would enjoy the world, we would enjoy delicacies, but we would also know God and rest in Him. Like, this is what Jesus is. I mean, I, nobody's bringing around trays for me to eat from yet, 
Um, <laughs> but I, I do have this opportunity to know God and to like rest in my will. Um, Isaiah touches on this. This is God like ranting at his people. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That seems like a big, angry threat. But part of what he's saying there is, It's not just about rest because you can rest and talk idly, right? I mean, like I rest, I'll sit around and just sort of shoot the breeze with folks and that's restful, right? I I remember I worked in a factory in college. It was one of the worst jobs I ever had um, because it was actual work. Um, But I remember whenever the line went down, it was the best because you could stand around and do nothing and talk. And you would just stand there while they were fixing whatever was broken, and you would, like, shoot the breeze with the guys around you. And it was easy, and it was lazy, and it was wonderful, right? It was rest. But rest is not just about idle talk. It's not just about pursuing your own interest. It's not about getting the lawn mowing done on this day because I don't have to work this day. It's about something different. It's actually about letting go of your own will and allowing God's will to reign over you which is a big idea. In fact, actually, Jesus touches on this. He says, listen, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you. Oh, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? And he says, come, come to me, I will teach you. And he, he talks about, like, this, this yoke and this burden and all that. Um, the crazy thing about that is, like, yoke is often associated with a, a rabbi's teachings, but a yoke basically, like, is a thing you'd put on the back of an oxen to make its work into work, right? (laughs) Like to harness it. Like the rest that he offers is like to operate within his will. Um, Anybody ever like overweighted by the fact that you like cannot possibly work hard enough to make God happy? Or anybody ever like struggle with that? Like, man, I put all this effort in. Is God even noticing Or honestly, when you stand in a crowd of people like, man, I try really hard, but I never quite fit in. Or, you know, there's this effort that that pervades our lives and pushes us to constantly be on guard and constantly work and constantly put forth effort and to pursue, you know, our own ends. And ultimately what God offers us in Jesus is this Sabbath rest, this cessation of effort and focus, not effort, excuse me. Um, where we secede our wills to him, and he runs the show. There's a lot of responsibility like associated with being in charge. Y'all are aware of that, right? Like, you make decisions, and you put forth effort, and like you second-guess, and you wonder. Like, what we're offered here is God's will comes in on us. God's will makes our decisions, sets our direction. God's will forgives. God's will, like, changes, shapes, everything. And that becomes what we're about. Um, that's what Jesus is talking about. Learn my teachings and follow them, right? Learn my way and follow that. And you don't need to worry about like figuring stuff out beyond that. Allow my will to control you. Allow my will to be your will and you're fine. Just trust me and I got you. Um, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Like if you think about it, that means that um, when I make decisions, I'm making decisions based on what God's will for me is, based on what like the scriptures teach, based on what Jesus directs, based on like, like, like loving my neighbor and loving God, based on these things rather than based on pursuing my own interests. 
Um, God gives us a great deal of freedom in that. Um, Colossians, this is uh, Paul writing. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regards to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but their substance belongs to Christ. What he's talking about is this idea that Sabbath was always a symbol or a shadow. Um, If I stand out under a street light, right? Um, Actually, I I saw this the other day. I was walking to the gym early in the morning, and I I about wet my pants because um, it was dark and quiet, and all of a sudden I saw this huge shape in the road in front of me. It was a a buck, giant buck, and I couldn't see it. I just saw movement, and I saw, like, a black outline, and I saw the rack, and that's how I knew it was a buck, and, like, like where he wasn't supposed to be. And then, you know, then he took off, and I saw him run through the light, but the, the shadow wasn't it, right? The buck was the buck. Like, all I saw in the immediate was the shadow. The Sabbath is the shadow. The Sabbath is this thing that we see of something that is coming. What is coming is this rest that we have in Christ where we allow him to do the work, where we know God through him, not through our own efforts, where we don't earn our way to heaven, we don't earn our way to salvation, we don't plot our own course. Instead, we belong to God, we belong to his son. We are saved by his death for us, his blood poured out on, on the cross. Like we are, we are made whole and complete. And like our whole lives just become about serving and following him. Um, this is a rest. And it's an amazing rest, right? You shall observe, this is Galatians, you shall observe days and months, or excuse me, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Um, Paul is talking to the Galatians, and what he's saying is, you guys get so freaked out about observing these ceremonies and these, these like, superstitions is, is what most commentaries refer to it as, um, and those superstitions are not the point. Uh, when we were in Israel, one of the things that I, I found kind of uncomfortable is you would see people walk up to these altars and like, like Golgotha Rock, there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is this huge building. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, it is a building with a smaller building inside of it over the tomb. Like, it is, it is hard to put to words how big this place is. But you can go up to where the cross was supposedly set on this giant rock that looks like a skull and like Golgotha Rock, and you can watch. There are people who lay down in front of it and kiss the ground in front of this altar, and you know they, they weep for the opportunity to be close to this rock where Jesus was crucified and all that. And like, like you can kind of tell this is us forgetting that Jesus died for us, and that's the point, and like we're sort of venerating the place as though the rock saves us in any way, as though the rock does anything for us. Nope, the rock is the place where the cross was. That's it, Right? But, like, there are folks who turn that into this holy thing. And, in fact, actually, you go to the Jordan River, and they sell bottles. I have one. Actually, I bought one just so I could take it with me, Um, but not because I'm venerating it. But they sell bottles so you can take the Jordan River with you. Have your own holy water. And, man, if holy water is that brown, like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. (laughs) I, I, they said, well, you can be baptized in it. I don't want to be baptized in that. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> like, it is, it is super not, but people would buy these, like, oh, you can get a gallon size. It looked like a big gallon size gas can. You could fill up with holy water. I guess to put out any fires you encounter. I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's a pun there. Um, <laughs> 
But the point being, like what Paul is talking about here is the day, these seasons, the old holy holidays for the Jewish folks, like all of these things were not about the day, right? The Sabbath doesn't exist as a day. The Sabbath exists as an opportunity to know and spend time with Jesus, right? The Sabbath pointed forward to the fact that we're like going to live in Christ's presence forever, and that every day we will spend time with him and know him. I can get up in the morning and I can stand before the altar of God and talk to God. Because Christ died for me. Because Christ tore the, the veil that exists between us and, and God. Like created opportunity to be intimate and close with him. Like that is amazing. I don't have to earn my way to him. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to be smart enough. I don't have to be the best looking. I don't have to be any of those things. I just have to belong to Jesus. I know you're already the best looking. It's tough to compete with you. Um, But the trick is we have to make it about Jesus. Like Because if the day itself is about the day, then there's no point, right? Then there's absolutely no point. If it's about, you know... If it's about the rock and not about Christ's death for us, you miss the point. If it's about the water and the river and not the, the cleansing baptism that we receive in Christ's blood, like, there's no point. It's always about Jesus. Um, and that's what Paul is saying here. And so, like, as we talk about Sabbath, like, the underlying most important concept to own here and to understand is um, it's always about this rest that we have in Christ. Um, Hebrews 4, we're going to go through this a little quicker than I intended. But there is good stuff here. It's very confusing, too. (coughs) I'm going to lose my voice if I go much longer. Um, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. He's talking about the, um, the Israelites wandering in the desert before, like in the Exodus. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. I, or excuse me, for, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a reference to Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is all about God fulfilling his promises and the promised land and the land flowing with milk and honey. And it talks about how the Israelites never entered the promised land. And in fact, actually, I went up there in, in Jordan, and I stood on Mount Nebo, and I, I stood in the place where God took Moses, and he said, hey, there's the promised land. You're not going. You're going to die up here. This is the end. You don't get to go to the promised land. And, like, you can look out and see it in the distance on the other side of the river, unless it's really hazy, in which case you can sort of see it. Um, But this is what Psalm 95 talks about. They never entered God's promised land. They never entered that rest. They never got there. Um, Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, meaning that God finished his work and he rested on the seventh day, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, which is we read a little bit ago. And again, in this passage, he said, you shall not enter my rest, meaning God rested on the seventh day. There is this eternal rest that goes with it. And this is what the Jews expected with the Messiah. They expected this eternal rest, but they never got there. They never made it. They got stuck and they got stuck because they didn't believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is the opportunity to enter that rest and they never got there because like, they couldn't accept the truth of who Christ was. 
And so they're still hanging out in front of the Golden Gate waiting for him to show up. Like, but they hang out forever because, you know, he, he's already been and gone. Like, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. Like, we have rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly believed the good news and, excuse me, failed to enter because of the disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is God talking to David. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. What the author of Hebrews is talking about is this idea that God keeps promising days of rest. And had they managed to follow God properly and enter his rest before, that would have been it. But they couldn't because they're fallen and they're sinful. And we all continue to sin and continue to fall short. And ultimately, that rest is offered to us because Christ does the work on our behalf. Um, So then remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, meaning knowing Jesus is our Sabbath rest. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Meaning, once we are in Christ, we don't have to earn our way to heaven. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to put the effort forth to, like, earn salvation. Anybody ever been in a relationship with someone where you have to bust your behind trying to just be loved or liked or accepted or appreciated or trying to get a nice word out of someone? Anybody ever have that? That is a miserable way to live, isn't it? What we have in Christ is rest from that. We have God's acceptance without our work, based purely on Jesus' work. We have a Sabbath rest that's eternal. I'm going to skip over the rest of Hebrews here because we're a little long. <coughs> the big idea here, and if you're going to miss, get anything else here, the big idea here is um, the rest we have in Christ is the Sabbath rest. Does it fall to a day? No, it just doesn't. It's not Saturday, it's not Sunday, it's not anything. It is every day, it is all the time. It is rest that's eternal. Does that mean we don't do anything? No, it means that we operate in his will. It means that he does the work in us to change our hearts and our lives, and he makes us into what he intends us to be. Actually, I am going to jump back to Hebrew, um, because he talks about that. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. That is a huge diversion where he's talking about rest, and all of a sudden he's talking about the word. What the idea there is is we enter his rest, and God's word does the work in us, right? God separates us from our wickedness. God separates our broken old self away. God changes us and reshapes us internally through his word and through his spirit, and we become his people through that. Like knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus is what makes us holy. I know folks that break their backs trying to be obedient, right? I mean, like, the Essenes are a good example of that. Don't go to the bathroom on the Sabbath or else you might make God mad because it might be work. That's not rest, and that's not knowing God. That's work. It's turning God's rest into work. Um, And we do the same thing with Jesus where we're like, man, i got to be careful about everything I do so I don't make Jesus unhappy. Well, yeah, we have to pursue holiness. That's important. But there's rest and joy in it that we lose if we turn it into, like, earning God's love. That's the amazing thing. Like, that's, um, actually, that's, 
one of the biggest things like you see in, in groups like AA, the big, like AA, one of the big ideas is you let God be in control over your life, right? That's like that fourth step um, is allow God, you know, give God complete control over your life and let him make your decisions and let him direct your path and let him like control your actions. And like since God is in control, you don't have to mess it up anymore. Um, the third step, sorry. Um, the idea there is we have rest in him. And that's awesome, right? That's rest. Um, he controls, he directs, and we just follow along. Um, I have a couple of verses that are kind of a diversion here, and I'm not sure if I want to include them or not. Um, the big idea, guys, again, rest in Christ. So what do we do with Sunday? Why Sunday? Why any day? If we can rest any day, why not every day? Why don't we do worship every day? Well, for starters, because the world doesn't work that way, right? Like the world just doesn't work that way. I can't, I mean, most of us can't do church every day. Does that sound right? I mean, for us to gather in the morning every day of the week would become disastrous very quickly because some of y'all have to go to work. I'm fortunate I'm a pastor. I don't work. Um, <laughs> and you farmers have to work at least twice a year. Um, but all things should be done decently and in order. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians about worship. And he's saying, hey, wait your turn to talk. Do things the way they're supposed to be done. Worship is supposed to be orderly and done like intentionally and not chaotic. Why does that matter? Because maybe if we pick a day of the week when we all agree that we're going to worship, like that makes sense. Right? So we pick Sunday. The early church picked Sunday. Why didn't they stay with Saturday? At first they did do Saturday. And they did Saturday for many, many years. And what happened was they would gather at the synagogue to worship. And the Jewish folks started to resent the fact that these Christians didn't believe the same things they did. And so they started to, like, persecute them. And, in fact, actually, there are examples of early Jewish prayer books where, like, they would stand up and say, Lord, please, you know, destroy all those who, you know, who are your enemy and who are wicked. And especially those Christians. You know, the Christians are sitting around in the room like, really? Right here. You know, but so they stopped showing up on Saturday because, like, they were not welcome. And they started meeting on Sunday. Why did they meet on Sunday? Because it's the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And they said, well, if we can't meet on Saturday, we'll do Sunday. And they started gathering on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day. It's Resurrection Day. And they started worshiping it. Is it commanded in the scriptures? Nope. Not really. Um, is there a reason we do it? Yeah, because it works out really well now, right? Do we have to? No, we could do church on Monday. We're not gonna. <laughs> but we could. Um, we could do church on Saturday. In fact, there are churches that meet on Saturdays. There are churches that meet on Fridays. I know people who take Sabbath on Monday because they have to work through weekends. So they're like, well, Monday is my Sabbath. It's the day I rest. That's good. It's right. It's acceptable because Sabbath isn't about the day. It's about taking time to spend with God. It's dedicating a huge amount of time to be with God. Why does that matter? Well, I don't know. Why do I take my wife out on dates? I, I do, right? Take her out. We'll go out, have dinner, go to the movies, hang out, talk. Why do we do that? Because spending time with her is important for our relationship, right? Same principle. Why do I spend time with God on a whole day? Because spending time with him is how I know him. It's how I develop a relationship with him. It's how I'm intimate with him. It's how I grow close to him. By the way, Paul does reference Sunday worship. Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is in reference to um, a famine, I believe. Uh, they were collecting money for famine relief. Relief. 
As I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Meaning, hey, if you're going to save up money for these guys, do it on the first day of the week when you're gathering, right? That makes sense. But Paul is referencing Sunday worship. It actually started in like 40 A.D., like very early, 45 A.D. maybe. Um, it's a very early thing. Why do we do it Sunday? Because that's when they pick. That's it. No other reason. Um, it's not holy. It's not special. It's not set apart. All our lives are Sabbath now. All our lives are rest. All our lives belong to Jesus. Um, so how do you apply that? What do you do with it? Well, you take time to spend with Jesus, Right? You take a little time in the morning, you take a little time in the evening, you take a little time in the middle of the day. You might take a whole day every week and spend it with Jesus. You might take time when you are struggling with something and say, God, I do not know what I'm doing here. I do not know what's going to happen, but I trust you to be in control. Anybody ever really worry about somebody and think, how do I help this person? I got a list of people like that in my life. And nine out of ten times I got to back up and say, God, this person belongs to you. I trust you. I'm going to rest that, you know, in that promise that you're in charge. And you pray and you trust God to be in control. That is Sabbath rest. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. I, again, apologize. It was kind of rambling and scattershot, but I'm not feeling well today. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you would give us Sabbath rest. Rest in the knowledge that Jesus did our work for us. That, that we can enter into your presence and enter into your holy, holy presence and rest in you. I pray that you would give us your grace and your peace in these things um, and give us wisdom as we apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.